Hey all, I'm Thomas. And I'm Taylor. And welcome to Third Rail, where we discuss everything from design technology and languages to woodworking, travel, books, and culture. We are clearly in over our heads, so we limit ourselves to three topics per week that interest us. We pull the first two topics from a bank of our shared interests. The third topic is almost always from left field, and can be just about anything. This week, in Rails 1, we'll be talking about the architectural approach to problem-seeking. Rail 2 will be about painting. Stay tuned for the third rail. Round 2. <laughs> Thomas is warmed up now from his <laughs> siesta. I might have taken a little time off this afternoon. By round 2, I mean this is the first time we've had to... Or we... We've either lost the recording or we didn't record, so... We only made it 10 minutes into it. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, no. So this is good, though. Why is this good, Taylor? <laughs> <laughs> this is good because... I don't know. So Repetition uh, <laughs> of ideas, iteration. events. Yeah, of course. Um, and statements make... The warrior stronger. My dad, uh, I'll be back. When before he got his MBA, he used to used to ride the bus to work. And I think even when he first got done with that, when my parents first got married, and he would he would tell my tell my mom that his name was He Who Waits for Bus at Dawn. <laughs> his his Indian name. Oh no. I liked our past intro better. Our past intro, we talked about, uh, <laughs> we just quickly went over like the wonderful guests we had, and you guys should go back and listen to them. Um, listen to the episodes in between, because they're good too, and we need more listeners. Um, but if you're listening to this, then you already know that. Well, right. The ideal situation is to listen to all of them. We're coming down to the last few weeks here of architecture school, and it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, everything for me is due in in three days. Yeah, and mine's due in like seven, eight days, nine days. Crazy. Um. So. Yeah, it's gonna be a big push. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Well, so I was pulling up the uh, the problem-seeking list. Uh, this is actually a lot better now that I'm warmed up. <clears throat> That's why I said it's going to be better, but you need to be with us. I'm here. I am in the moment. I am present. Okay. Um, Let's go. Let's get on third rail. Hop on the train. Should I do the Swiss whistle again? Yeah. I'll, you want me to stand, is it recording? stand away? It, it is recording. Stand a little bit off the mic. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Kind of. Let's go. Rail one. Not that not that our name or the rails has anything to do with the actually training things, but everything's interwoven. Everything's part of uh, everything else in the cosmos as far as you extend you out and into I the toposphere. Are one then? <laughs> one in the same. One in the same. But also not in the same. Do you, of the same. You know, Taylor, how, I'd like to start We should off do a with TED talk. One. We should do a TED Talk on Third yeah. Rail. The successes and failures of Third Rail. Yeah. See two episodes now. All right, go. Um, Third or one rail. Do you have any problems? That's how I'd like to start 
off this segment. I'm going to start a different idea here. <laughs> this is different than last time because I said it last time. I went into it. Thomas is not prepared. He didn't give Manny notes to go off of. So I'm just sitting looking at him again. So yeah. do I have any problems, are you asking me? Yeah. Architecturally or anything? Anything. Yes. <laughs> me too. No. Oh, good segment. Yeah. So I'd like to I'd like to start off talking about problem seeking. And problem seeking is, um, and we'll post this stuff in the comments, but it's a book. The name is, the title of this architectural primer is called Problem Seeking. And a little bit of background on it. There's a guy named William Pena. And he worked for HOK, which not is... Not Kenny Banya. Not Kenny... Not to be confused with Kenny Banya. No. He's KB. different. He's no different. suits. He wears a suit, though. Okay. And he worked for HOK. And back in around... We looked this up on their last recording of this. <laughs> uh, 1977, he came out with a primer. Um, and it has since been... It's published by HOK, which is a very large architectural engineering firm internationally. Um, and I, I got acquainted with this architectural primer when i was working um for them tom works the presses for this book <laughs> yeah <laughs> during his lunch hour yeah and they just have stacks of them everywhere <laughs> and they give them to everybody who works for them and it's also um it's not just uh, read by people who work at hrk but it's used across the country for programming courses in architectural education it's a primer for architectural programming right and and what is architectural programming well it's it's a the way in which, as an architect or, an, or a group of architects that have a, a, a job with a client, it's a way of d like designing the space that you that the client wants, um, and you're designing it to fit their needs. And so we, we all take programming courses to try to understand what that process looks like. But essentially, you, you kind of you have a different building type, like let's say, you have a house, and you're going to establish the needs of the house well. Um, if you're working with a client, the client will say, "Okay, I want three bedrooms. I want one. I want a kitchen. I want a living room. Um, I want a backyard. I want all this, all this stuff." And it's the job of the architect to try to understand how all of those different programs—they call each different type of space a program—how they all come together. And um, with this book, this problem-seeking book was really innovative because. It took a look at the current state, the, the, the then state of architectural programming, which was more reactive, where a client would say, hey, I want X, Y, Z. I want to I want to do a courthouse with 25 courtrooms, uh, this many bathrooms, this whatever. They would just give it to the architect and the architect would pump it out and be done with it. And it kind of flipped it on, flipped it on its head and started asking questions that people may or may not have I thought. I'd like to read the intro to the primer. I think this will be a good way to frame it. Oh, I've read that. Um, it no, says... I haven't. Yeah, you know, it was on the, the show notes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was it in white text? Yeah. Um, good buildings don't just happen. They are planned to look good and perform well and come about when good architects and good clients join in thoughtful, cooperative effort. Programming the requirements of, the, of, a, of a proposed building is the architect's first task often the most important. There are a few underlying principles that apply to programming, whether the most complex hospital or a simple house. This book concerns these principles. Programming contains five steps, and this is just listing off the five steps of programming, the subset of the larger architectural design. 
First, to establish goals. Two, to collect and analyze facts, uncover and test concepts, determine needs, and state the problem. So this entire book talks about and ranges across all these different building types, like they were saying, from hospitals to houses. Um, and it's, it, it's a co- collaborative effort with the client to establish the goals, establish facts, um, uncover concepts, determine needs, and state the problem. The ultimate end goal of this process is to state the problem. Um, and this was a lot different than viewing architects as problem solvers. Um, a quick detour. Uh, I don't know if you if you would resonate with anything um, that I'm saying here, but a lot of times I've found in architectural education, some we view ourselves more as solving problems. We are the the big designer that comes in and designs a solution, and we think we kind of have it right. Mm, talking to the wrong guy. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I I think that when you start sweeping this idea across all building industry, it's a little... I think that this works for some... It probably works for most of what HOK does. Yeah. But I think that when you get into spe- uh, special cases that it becomes... Um, a little more gray. Yeah, I can understand that um, problem seeking is is something that you would someone like Norman Foster with McLaren. They did. I mean, he's done a lot of factories yep. where they've tried. He's worked very closely with the client, which was um, the McLaren team and like the McLaren industry, the McLaren um, business, and they tried to make a more efficient um, right. factory or output. And if they, if they would have gotten a different architect, then McLaren may have just gotten a more mundane result or. Yeah, I think that I'm not, I haven't read the book, but I think that problem solving is, can still be a very much a big thing in terms of like, how a building is constructed and like, oh, there's a reason that we put windows here and there's a reason there's fire codes and all that kind of stuff. I think that problem seeking is maybe more for the client architect relationship. Is that, would that be fair to say or is that? Yeah, I think it, I think it works better when you have a client with real money and a real project. And, and I mean, you're not seeking problem seeking when you're designing fire stare you know stuff with the client right i think that it's much more of within the program and and what needs they have and what needs you've learned over time or what oh that'd be cool to have a meeting table a large conference table that's in the work area not in its own separate room because before the renovation they didn't have they didn't have that table in in that location and they never thought about it like that yeah right or someone, or the client even goes, oh, I think, yeah, those two people work really well together. I mean, I did some of this, I did some programming stuff uh, over my internship last summer. And mm-hmm. um, it was great to work. We had meetings with that specific client probably once, twice a month. and went over the new iteration of the plans. And it was nice. Yeah. Um, I think... I definitely agree. It's 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 a 
very difficult topic to get into 10 minutes, and I definitely will You still have two minutes. I have two minutes left. Oh, my gosh. Or more. Oh, Let's so go. Much, so much time. Um, well, how has it helped you? Yeah, so we were introduced to this process. Why does we it interest working. you? Well, it interests me because you, when you're working with... When you're working with somebody, there's this intersection of expertise. And so you have the architect who, like you were saying, is an expert when it comes to designing efficient stair fire stairs. And they're an expert when it comes to designing um, efficient uh, building enclosures and envelopes. But what – and the client is an expert at what they do. They're an expert at whatever their specific um, – there's the dog again. <laughs> they're an expert at their, their building type, their – business model, what have you, and that's why they're they're wanting to work because they're wanting to improve it. But where the cross-section is is where both people are not experts, which is very subjective matters of design and higher ideals of collaboration and work who are actually going to be who, – who are the people who are going to be using the space. It's not going to be the client and it's not going to be the architect. But both people are coming together. One, the client is paying, paying the architect – to design a space for their employees or their constituents to work in and operate. And ideally, when both of these experts come together, they're where their expertise kind of fails and where they need to overlap and collaborate to produce a better result is taking the expert of um, the client with regard to the business and how something lays out and the expertise of the architect and how you one design space and apply that business model to this to the expertise of the the designer and bring them together to create a truly innovative space that um, is starting to push the envelope when it comes to good design instead of just being a cookie cutter reaction reactionary approach to design which would <clears throat> receive the instructions of the client saying I need this many rooms this much square feet per room and the and the architect more or less just takes it plops it down on a piece of paper and arranges it in a nice way but. The true intersection of how you make good architecture is when you embark on this collaborative approach with a client to uncover what their true needs are and actually to seek out what a, what problem exists. And maybe the problem that they say isn't the only problem, and it may, not, might not be the, the most pressing problem. Um, a good example of this would be a, a very small project I did while I was with HOK. It was a kind of a pro bono thing. And we worked with a client called refab and shout out to refab they're a they're a, they're a deconstruction group in uh, in st louis and they employ homeless veterans deconstructivists no no oh wrong sorry yeah. they do um they employ homeless veterans in st louis and, and basically the whole the whole premise of the thing is um instead of de demolishing buildings old buildings why not take apart these buildings and piece by piece Really, manual really, labor. Yeah, really similar to Restore by Habitat for Humanity. Right, and if the, you're familiar. And the founder of Refab actually was a um, project leader for Habitat Restore for many years. Nice. Um, and so he he started up shop and and essentially came to HOK saying he needed help. He needed a new scheme because they were moving warehouses. They just wanted a fresh start and they wanted to organize their materials and their rate sale space better. And so we helped him do it. And it's since been. He's moved into his new space, and we, we helped him kind of go about the thought process of establishing what his needs were, what his space was. So it's it's understanding his business model, first off. It's understanding what he's asking. It's understanding the space that he is moving into, the realities of that space, how you're constricted by the square footage. 
and then it's trying to propose innovative ways to relook at what he's looked at. Because once you take once you take a step back from being zoomed in on the day to day, you can have maybe a you can draw bigger connections. So what we ended up doing for him was helping him create kind of this collaborative table bench welcome checkout area that is the Ooh. central focus of the new space. And it works great because last time he had this fold-out table where he had a cash register and that's where everyone brought their stuff. But this is like a multi-tiered thing. So you can have the, the regular checkout counter with a cash register. You can have a second tier where you can sit and draw on paper and discuss your ideas. So it was about trying to kind of rethink what his needs were and propose something to him that he ended up really loving the idea and we proposed it through design and concept and um, then he actually helped execute it and found a carpenter to create the, the thing. Nice. Um, probably Problem read, seeked. Sought. Sought seeked. 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 Um, as usual, Soaked. I am rambling, but I... It was a long-winded answer for why you <laughs> are interested in it, but I'm down. Sorry. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's just something that I, I think good designers and people who are interested in architecture should really appreciate because the worst thing, I, in my opinion, that you can do as an architect is assume that you are correct on your approach to, to solving the problem. Or the worst thing is to assume that the client is correct and then just be an executor or whatever, you know, the person who just kind of produces it without any thought behind it. Yeah. The sad thing is money talks bigger than Yeah, absolutely. So that's that arguably could be why some I mean, we a lot of spaces we have are not architected necessarily. Anyway, that's Definitely. a whole nother different topic. Yeah. That's really true though. That's for Suzanne Wong to talk about. That's when stuff gets cut. You're cut. just like it was like, oh, it'd be great if we had this huge collab, you know, and then they're like, yeah, we don't, yeah. Have, don't have the money. Oh. No, we'll just stick with the, yeah. You're just like, oh, okay. I bought those sports teams, though. That's what, the, <laughs> you know. Oh, putting billion, I've been in billions client, of dollars. No, I've been in client meetings, though. You know, you actually, you talk about the actual thing for like five minutes, and then they're the ones who like shift away. Yeah. Whew, anyway, how you guys doing? It's like, <laughs> like not even here to talk about what we're here to talk about. Anyway. Yeah. Different topic for a different time. What if we could transition to painterly matters? <laughs> Bad segue. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we take this brushstroke <sighs> to a different canvas? This high level, a, right? A different canvas. Painting. Yes. I would like to bookend my last week's rail of photography with painting. Although I am not an experienced nor have many at all pieces of art that I've done in the form of painting, I've thought a lot about it and I've seen a lot of paintings. So, uh, to bring this to third rail, I thought that I would bring someone, an artist and a realist painter that I thought would be interesting to talk about. Crazy name. Crazy name? 
Rackstraw Downs. Rackstraw He's a British-born realist painter. And I thought we could talk about his work and just talk about painting for a little bit. Yeah. So I was drawn to his work, I'm not sure when, maybe back in Webster art school days. But he um, he's based out of NYC, so he came over here and studied art. Um, and he works in the realm of oil painting and often at the site, so outdoors. And plain. What? Isn't that the, the, like the French word? Yes, yes. At, oh. Yeah, on site. Surprising, Thomas. <laughs> anyway, he travels extensively, and you can see that in his work. And you know he's been there because he does this. And plane. And plane. <laughs> I don't know if that's is and and plane or I don't. Know. I'm just gonna. Uh, <laughs> you know just what? keep it. Keep it back. No idea. So, um, I really enjoy his work. And what kind? What kind of stuff does he do? So he does oil paintings, but realist. So he does very, very complex, multiple month long paintings. Probably hyper realist. All like yeah, almost I mean, looks like a photo. Photo realistic yeah, is sure. is a um, term that's thrown around in the painting world. Um, but I would say that I mean his work isn't like Jared Ryder or like the. What's that painting that he did of his daughter? The um, who's looking away? Have you? Mm-mm. Um, <clears throat> Jared Ryder. I'm not familiar. Jared Ryder. He's he's German, I believe. Betty is. It's actually at the St. Louis Art Museum. Hmm. It's a photorealistic painting of his daughter looking away, and she has a flower jacket on. Um, and so I'm not, I don't, I don't know that his work, I mean, he's kind of like Wayne Thebald, which is another, or Tebow, which is another um, kind of traditional yet abstract painter. I would put him more in that category, even though when you look at his paintings, like in picture format, they look like photos um, from far away, but I'm kind of dragging on here. Basically, he... Ken Johnson, who's the New York Times art critic, states that in 2010, he was, Rackshaw Downs paintings, paints beautiful pictures of ugly places. Hmm. So, um, I think that that's what we should talk about here. But I do think that some of the things that immediately stand out to me in his paintings is the composition, um, the sizing of the canvas, it's much more of a horizontal experience, very stretched out and thin, and I really am drawn to that kind of painting. Um, the uh-huh. subject matter, um, his use of perspective, mostly two-point perspective, but also the panoramic style, which is kind of the sizing, and then the the color choices that he uses. Um, and so the, those, those, those different categories also draw me to the Wayne Tebow landscapes, specifically the Richard Dibon Corn, which is another good name. <laughs> All these guys. <laughs> his landscapes, also his Ocean Park series, which are a little more abstract, but still very good. Um, a lot of the Andrew Wyeth work. Um, a lot of names. <laughs> I know, throwing them out there. For Andrew Wyeth. How do you spell Wyeth? 
W-Y-E-T-H. He's one of the great American painters. He did the um, Christina's World, which is um, the girl in the field with the house in the background. Huh. It's a very tragically painted looking realist painting, but... Oh, this one? Yeah. Um, I got to see that up close at MoMA. They had it like hanging in one of the hallway access areas, and it was like, there's a lot of like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, you know, like I'm trying to look at this painting and there's like a million people walking by you. It's kind yeah. of a rough area to hang that, but mm. beautiful painting, detail all the way up to the, um, like all the way down to like the, the many, bar- many farmhouses. stuff. Yeah. The barns. And then Grant Wood is also another one of my, and he kind of gets into a different abstract world that's almost like this early illustrator art that's i haven't researched a lot of him but and then the last thing with paintings is the southwest paintings that going to santa fe and seeing just those vast cinema Mm. um, level landscapes that i've haven't been to the grand canyon but you have but trying to capture that feeling is is something that um there's a lot of depth and layers and kind of like you don't know where exactly the horizon is. It's just always kind of further yeah. away. Yeah, and there's like a warmness to those paintings mm-hmm. specifically. But um Ken Kenandello, I think, was the um Canandello? He he was a guy I saw a lot in Europe. I went to a lot of museums. Sounds Italian or something. Yeah, it was, um, I can't remember his name. Um, where are we at? 25. Okay, quickly. Um, he did an old Italian painter, and he also had a son who painted too. That They did these like hyper-realistic um, Italian or Venetian, Yeah. these like boats and um, buildings. and. So, so do you think that... Do you think that there's like a, obviously there's an obsessive kind of quality to the paintings. Yeah. Like it's never good enough or. Well, this guy, if you watch his, he does, he did a bunch of artists, 21 Rackshaw downs back to him Mm -hmm. (laughs) specifically. Cause I think that's where I started at. And, um, he takes, it's really interesting. His philosophies on like painting and where he sits in the paint world. He's also a writer. Um, and he did some of these, so like the beehive, the landscape stuff, but he does like the New York scenes. I, the ones I really like the most are the ductwork ones in like yeah. attics. Those are crazy. Um, almost these like fisheye kind of looking paintings that um, takes a lot of talent to like, because your eyes don't read spaces like that. I mean, you read it like a camera, but he's not, he's not painting based on photographs with a fisheye. So there's like this whole psychological configuration that he's like started to produce these then two-dimensional works there's this i don't know his eyes have a fisheye in them (laughs) let me turn him on (laughs) he's it's but the i just love this subject because the subjects are so they're like like my photos and i mean they're like of nothing like there are things that people walk by and they're like, why the hell would you? <laughs> the, that's yeah. why it's 
potentially is like so fascinating. Right. Just like beehive boxes for like, you know, beekeepers and the big field, open field or like a small dirt track for RC cars, you know, like. Or like a simple uh, awning, dining awning. Yeah. He's got one of those. And and there's there's lots of history and painting and I'm definitely not going to get into that. But um, it's I just think that well, subject matter is undervalued in a lot of different arts. But um, for specifically for this, and really I didn't choose to include this art critic because I think critic criticism and that whole field is kind of bogus. But um, you hate people having like saying this is a good authority thinking that they're experts sorry to chime in on saying expert again but um i think that that statement there you know paints beautiful pictures of ugly places first off he said pictures so is he referring to something being so realistic like the talent that he has that it is a picture instead of a painting right or was he just lazy um and then he says ugly places and you don't think that's fair well, I just think that, the, I mean, it's always up for debate. I mean, pictures of, or paintings of, you know, old Danish warships and battles and things are beautiful, but it's like, you know, people who don't like war or like... Right. Um, people have only seen a jet ski. I, I don't know. I feel like his paintings, I mean, there's paintings that can like live with you and live through you and... The one other is the Bacon, Francis Bacon stuff. That's more of like an inward mm-hmm. analysis, but um, that's cool stuff, though. I just feel like his his painting to me is so simple in that it's just reality, but then it says so much more than a lot of other sure. paintings. So, and that's a field that I definitely want to. I mean, got the paint and all that stuff, but it's like, wasn't the time? So. Do you kind of envision yourself with your objects and your subject matter doing doing paintings of them? I don't know. We can, we can I'd work. like to take my photos, some of the subjects I've taken that, and maybe take it then to painting. I've tried to take it in a physical form before and printouts and things, but painting's tough, because, and it's all about layers. That Do you think that there's like a um, disingenuous approach to taking your catalog or archive of photos and then painting from the photos instead of the end plane approach. You're not going to go back to a lot of those places. You, I mean, you could, but it seems, yeah, I feel like this is kind of where I sit with my work in architecture too, is, is I've taken that approach to transforming these subject matter and just and trying to make them something else. Yeah. But at a certain point, I, there's always this level of like, maybe the subject matter is what that is and that's the proper form. So I don't know. I mean, I'm still in the architecture world where it's like, do more, do more, keep going. You know, it's like, yeah. take it there. You could take it 16 other places. Right. So, I, I don't know. Paintings, painting photography and probably, I, want, I don't want to say 3D, but like modeling and spaces are probably the top things for me. So. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. So that was my rail. Maybe we could, we would have had to, 
we would have had to water the plants today. Oh, we're gonna do this with, one. Shoot. With uh, <laughs> we're not gonna do the perfect movie. Maybe next week. Um, had it not rained, thankfully, it's been only been raining here inches. Yeah, it's been just pouring down. What do you want to talk about? <laughs> I'm throwing it on you. <laughs> I think we're gonna talk about garden hoses. Garden hoser. And for the days when it doesn't rain and it's dry and the summer's fast approaching. Not hoses, just garden hose. Oh, singular, singular hose. Yes. There's a difference. Rarely do you see multiple garden hoses. Well, I, at our at our house we have two linked together to get the extra length. That would be considered one, though. Come on, honey, draw out the garden hose for me. Yeah, I guess you don't have front. You don't have a front and back. You have, usually it's in the back, and you pull it around front. Shout out to Gary Giso. It's my great uncle. He's got like probably five lined up next to each other. I know he's got at least two. You know those like spool things. It's like who needs five? Well, and they always they always get tangled. You know, and yeah. it gets like a lot of spiders and a lot of just crap yeah. in there. That reminds me of air hoses too, in shops and air compressors. Well, they, they have the same kind of wind-up thing to keep it organized. Or No Country for Old Men, where he has the cattle pro- cattle oh, killer man. and goes around. Foreshadowing, possibly. Ooh, yes, foreshadowing. Yeah. Uh, take note of that. Might not be the last time we speak of these things. Call it. So let's talk about Garden House for a second. I think I probably strangely wrote this one down. That's an apt way to put it. <laughs> it goes with barbecue. It goes with all that stuff. Right. It's like, I don't know, it's like American. Although it's also a European shop, you know, like, you know, spraying off the front stoop. Mm, right. That's more New York than, though. I don't know. They did that where I was. Yeah. Because it, it gets so dirty, and so you just power yeah. wash it down every morning. Chicago, same way. Yeah. Um, but... I don't know. It's very spigot. Throw that one in. <laughs> Spigots are good. A good. The actual spigot that you turn, it's not a, it's not a typical knob. It's. It always interests me that it was a circle. The had, spigot is the thing that the water comes out of. Correct, but that's attached to the spigot with the whatever you call the the knob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. valve. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it has it has little holes in it. It's not a solid thing. It's also not. A, like a triangle thing that you could have grip or leverage to pull. It's just a circle. So sometimes it gets stuck, and you're like, "Well, what do I? Yeah, what do I crank on? And why? Why are there holes in it? It's yeah, it's very odd. We have we divide. I think we have two. We actually might have two different hoses in our house. So we have a divider mm. that you attach to it, like attachments, then gets into like yeah, we know, get the yeah, we get and then you gotta like have the correct. Uh, nozzle. <laughs> what are some other ones? Or what is that? The the head. So you have the other end. The spout. Yeah, you have the spout, and you connect the gun. Like not the gun. Well, sometimes it has guns, and then the gun has a shower setting. It has a the jet, nozzle. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Setting. You gotta have those. The flat one's my favorite. We have one that you can like rotate. Yeah. Yeah, to use for sure for washing cars, and I feel like. 
I wonder if washing cars is just becoming like, or I wonder if it's sustaining. That would be interesting. Mm. Like of the waterways of the world? No, I mean like the homeowner, the DIY car washing we have the uh, bucket population. We have the soap in the bucket in the garage and every once in a while before prom. Yeah. But I mean, like you think, I don't know. I feel like some of my friends don't like never or have never washed cars. Yeah. Or I've only washed them when they've washed them with me, you know, like, um, well, no, no, like charity event car wash. That's Everyone likes a clean car, but no one's going to do it themselves. That's true. Yeah, that too. That That's when you have multiple hose eye. I mean, a lot of hot. Theses. A lot of hose, hose eye. Hose eye. Because you Hosier. Gotta, you're running. Oh. You're running like multiple um, zones. You know, you got you to gotta wire up or hose out for multiple mm-hmm. washings. All right, Johnny. Get Washer. 3C. <laughs> Three scenes. Good another coming in. Coming in. <laughs> Soapers, let's go. Where's the sham wow? Where is it? Where is it? I like the singular hose though. And like the old man style, like wash off the driveway. It takes like three hours. But without the attachment, you have to put your thumb yeah, in Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like shove your thumb in there. Yeah. Yeah, and like get the f- <laughs> That kind of noise. <laughs> what kind of what colors? What I think we used to have. What was it? Brown. We or have black a brown with now. a single single white line. On yeah, it. or two of them. We had a dark green one. We had a brown one. The brown was solid. The green had a had a stripe on it. My grandma had one where it like shrinks down to nothing, and then when you turn it on, it like expands. Mm-hmm. Not a very, I mean, space efficient. Not heavy duty. For like the, for the bike garage or like your outdoor shed. It's like we have, we have six inches square of hose storing. You know, talking about, talking about the American dream and barbecues, it's amazing how much space we have just to put stuff. And you look at our, your garage and you're like, there's a lot of our stuff could be consolidated. We've talked about that with like stuff, but yeah. just the size of things. Like we have three different rakes, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. Billy's got to have one to rake one thing while dad's doing all the work, right? Right. Got to have a wheelbarrow. Little yeah. Johnny. Well, that it's crazy. Like, because not only do we all have like a, we all have a wheelbarrow or, but you can rent all that stuff too. So there's this whole infrastructure of like renting that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah. But I like oh, the shapes of shovels. You can have the trench. Oh, you're taking shovels. this into shovels? We can't go there oh, okay. this week. All right. Well, we'll get into the trench shovels, the, the short ones with the long thin. With the handle on top? Yeah. Gotta yeah. have the handle. I think that's a sp- I don't think it's a spade. Mm-mm. The spade is the one that looks like a spade. Right. Um but a short handled I think that's what it's called, a short handled shovel. Yeah. Is that a handle? I'm talking about the thin ones that you can trench stuff. Oh, yeah. If you gotta that, lay pipe or something. Yeah, yeah. Like almost like a. It was like three, four inches wide. Yeah. Spade. I think that's a spade. Is this the last thing we get to talk about? Because we're almost done. Yeah. Or what about? I mean, we're almost a four. What, what is your nostalgia about? Um, Jose. My nostalgia is kinks, 
and having to Kings, undo that's the true. The, like whipping out. Yeah, like mom would say, "Go water this," and I'm like, "Oh no!" And you get out there, and it's not going, and you got to go unkink it. <laughs> yeah, it would have been would have been a shame if we didn't bring up kinks. That's true. And the Maybe. winding back, and it's just like, it's never. It's never dragging along the ground. It's just kind of flipping and going yeah. <laughs> while you're just flailing it in. It's just like flipping up, hitting the car. You're just like, oh, no. And it's like the lazy, it? lazy, like, come on, unkink from like 20 <laughs> feet away. You right. like walk over there. It's like digging shovels. Smoking your cigar and your loafers. Trenching shovels. Drain mm-hmm. spades. That's your long, thin Slightly curved sides and a round tip. Have you very narrow? Have you ever made a, done a French drain? Scoop shovels. Hold on, let's finish real quick. Scrapers. Scrapers. Oh yeah, I've used a scraper before. It's just like a flat metal. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you got the snow shovels Edgers. that don't do anything. I've used a manual edger. It was absolute. I've used. Muck. We have one of the electric ones. Yeah, those are a lot better. Yeah. Post hole diggers. Yeah, that's a, for sure. And then trowels and soil scoops. It's great. I think it's worth the extra few minutes to yeah, absolutely. introduce shovels. Kinks. Kinks, but oh, I had a, I had a great thing I asked. Oh, what was it? I don't know. We'll talk uh, about it next time. We have some returns. Do we need to do the outro? We have some. Visitors. All right, let's kill it. Let's. Someone out with the code word. Um, okay. Code word. Lazy Sunday. Oh, there you go. That's mine. What do you want? Okay. Mine is... Um, mine will be... Okay Hatchery Bird Seed. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening to another episode of Third Rail. Follow us on Twitter at Third Rail Sounds, Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Third Rail Sounds, Instagram at Third Rail Sounds, and on SoundCloud at http colon forward forward slash www.soundcloud.com slash Third Rail Sounds. Until next time. Third Rail. <laughs>